You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. And welcome. Thank you so much for joining us once again here for Digital House Church at Reality Honolulu. Uh, I just want to give a big mahalo to our worship team for spending the time and effort to provide the space for musical worship on Sundays. Um, On that note, we're going to continue our time of worship as we uh, give our our tithes and offerings. I know that we're not in person giving those physically. Um, You guys have graciously given throughout the week and continue to do so, but just want to stop and together thank the Lord for providing for us as a church to continue to um, serve and be a the presence of Jesus here in Hawaii. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity, for your worship unto the Lord, and let's uh, thank the Lord for this and uh, let pray for our time this morning. Here we go. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for your continued provision for our church, and not only so that we can be a church and function and be a community following Jesus, seeking renewal in the land, but also even just looking forward to this next season at Central Middle and all the ministry and the opportunities you have for us. Uh, Thank you for the funds to be able to, to do that, and we just ask that all that we have would be, um, you, you get credit for all you do. You would use these funds for your, your glory and the furthering of your kingdom. Um, and we just thank you. Thank you for the ways in which you provide and sustain. And God, we thank you that you're faithful. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And um, you said you would build your church and even the gates of hell would not prevail. Um, there's nothing that... Um, can get in your way. And so we just thank you that you are on the move and we are caught up in a move of God. And so we thank you for that. We pray, God, that you would meet us now in our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, as you know, we get into the word of God and dig in and see what it says and what does it mean and how does it apply for us? And, and most importantly is um, praying and hoping that the word of God is actually forming us, right? It's, it's seeing how we should live and not live what would give God glory and how, how we're actually supposed to live uh, as followers of Jesus, to form us into uh, disciples. Before we get into that, I want to make sure you're aware of some exciting upcoming events. Again, outside of Digital House Church on Sundays, together, digitally, in homes uh, with one another, and and outside of our Wednesday night prayer and worship time every single Wednesday night where we pray for our church and our community. And guys, I would just encourage you, there is no more powerful thing that the church can do than to pray and cry out to God to move on his, our behalf. And so um, I want to encourage you Sundays and Wednesdays uh, and even coming up next Saturday, we are having our first Malama workday at our new home, Central Middle School. I'm so excited. Obviously, I've been there a lot. The staff has been there a lot. A handful of you have that are kind of helping but want to invite the whole church there next Saturday, nine to three, uh, for a day that we get to care for and beautify and 
pull weeds and weed whack and pressure wash and paint and just pour into that school um, to bless them. We're going to be providing lunch for you in the middle. Um, and so it's to be a great time for not only us to serve together and be together safely, but also to show you our new home and cast a bit of vision and share with you where we'll be um, uh, in our time together. Again, all the info is on the website. You can go check that out even right now. And uh, you can RSVP and let us know you're coming. Family friendly, love for any of you guys to come. And we'll be sending out some more details on that event that you RSVP to, which the link's on the website. So feel free, or I mean, be sure to join that and RSVP so you can get all the info and the details. Also, coming up here next month, May 15th, it's a Saturday as well, uh, 5 p.m., we are going to be having another worship night at uh, the wonderful home that the Lord is providing uh, for us to use this season up off Tantalus, right behind, uh, up above Roosevelt, Makiki Heights area. Um, if you've come to Easter or Christmas Eve or our other worship night or a Wednesday night prayer, that's where it all is. Um, that's where I'm recording this right now. It's all up here for the time being. And so love for you to come and to just be ready to just fellowship safely and just declare our God's attributes and worship his name and who he is and what he's done over this amazing place that we get to call home. And so again, that all the information will be on the website, but again, next Saturday and save the date for Saturday, May 15th. But without further ado, we're going to jump into the word of God here. And so if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Acts 18 verses 18 through 28. We're finishing off chapter 18. Again, if you don't have a Bible, that would be swip out your phone and Bible app or just Google Acts 18 verses 18 through 28 in the NIV translation. Again, it's a good habit and I'd love for all of us to continue to open our Bibles and know it ourselves, and know that what I'm saying is actually there and not made up and I'm reading God's word. I'd love for you to join me, read, and then we'll, we'll dig in. So here it is, Acts 18. Verses 18 through 28. One note, if you haven't been with us, you'll know we're jumping into Paul's second missionary journey as he travels around um, kind of the Middle East and Europe, and he's preaching the gospel. So we pick up here right where we left off last week in the city of Corinth. And as Paul kind of leaves that place and kind of the, the end of his second missionary journey and the start of his third. And so, and there's some, some, some neat and uh, really practical as well as important things that we can pick up from this text. So let's read it. Just want to make sure you're aware. And if you're just joining us, you're like, what is this guy doing? He's just jumping in. But no, we've been in the book. We're jumping in kind of into this narrative, picking back, back up where we started. Um, Acts 18 verses 18 through 28 says this. Okay, so Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for uh, Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at uh, Chenchery because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he sailed for, <coughs> excuse me, 
Then he, then he sailed, set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church, and then he went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and uh, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, so once again, right, we're, we jump into this story and we pick up. And uh, again, this is kind of a travelogue of Paul. Uh, again, we see the similar characters or the same characters that we got introduced last week, Priscilla and Aquila, that have... That, that will become, that, that are becoming uh, great co-laborers and partners in the furthering of the gospel with Paul. And then we get a new character, a new person on the scene, um, and his name is Apollos. And so, again, what's happening here, right, is, is Paul has been traveling for some time. Even last week, we, we saw that Paul was, was kind of burnt out, tired, discouraged, fearful, weak as he spent his, uh, and weak as he spent his time in Corinth. And the Lord, through a vision, encouraged him, like, Paul, my son, like, do not be afraid of what might happen to you as you share my good news and the truth of who Jesus is. Do not be afraid. Do not be silent, but continue to speak. This is great encouragement, this great kind of, kind of life-giving wind, so to speak, that Paul needed to continue uh, the course that he was on to continue to preach the gospel and people to get saved and, and start churches and appoint leaders in those churches and strengthen existing churches. I mean, a lot that he was doing. And what we realize is that uh, after our time last week, Paul ended up staying for at least a year and a half in that place after that, that time with God filling him back up, encouraging him, um, kind of lifting him up, being the lifter of his head and, and having him continue on. And so what we see here is the story picks up. Paul leaves Corinth and he sails to Ephesus. Again, he had wanted to go to Ephesus before, if you remember, Acts 16. But the spirit of God kind of said, don't go there. And that's where uh, Paul first didn't go there. And he entered into Europe. And then he's been there for a few chapters. He's heading on back home to Syrian Antioch, modern day Syria, kind of on the coast there. And he stops in Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila come with him, right there, they were in Corinth, 
Remember, they're, they're, they're Jewish, but they were living in Rome. They kind of are exiled. Um, the emperor at that time said, Jews, you cannot be in Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila went to Corinth. That's where they met. Uh, and now they're, they're going with Paul to Ephesus. And what happens is, is that Paul, you know, in Ephesus, he goes to the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship, and again, does what he does, and he contends with the Jews there, and he, and he, and he uses the scriptures to try to convince them and show them that Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, is the promised Messiah, that the person they've been waiting for, that the person they've been hearing about, their own people, the, the people of God, the Jewish people have been prophesying about and studying and waiting for is found in the person of Jesus. So he does this, but then he, he continues on, right? He's a mover. He just, just does it and goes and he's the apostle Paul. And so he leaves that. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, right? Modern day Turkey there. And he sails back to Israel, goes to Jerusalem, then goes to Antioch, and I'm sure gives a report of this whole second missionary journey, and doesn't seem like he spends much time there, and then he goes and he travels back, um, kind of, you know, through the Asia Minor region, uh, region Syria, Turkey, um, and heading back to Ephesus. But for, for a moment here, if you, if you caught it, we kind of hear what happened to Paul and the end of his second missionary journey. And he gives a report and he starts the third one. But then there's this really significant um, story of Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and their whole interaction and all that. But this is what I want to look at today. It's what I want to look at today. I, I, I want to see, I want, I want us to note I think there's, there's like two things, main things. There's a lot, but there's two things that are really noteworthy. And it's the way Paul approaches all these journeys and his travel plans and his future, what he says there. And then also specifically the interaction of Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila and their dynamics, which we'll talk about and, and the significance of that. But really, it's the posture of their hearts. It's the attitude in which they live their life. Not only in just how they followed God, how they lived their lives, but how they made decisions, how, how they served. Like it was the posture, it was the attitude, it was the way in which they postured themselves. This is really important. I think it's really important to know how they did it. And I, I think it's of extreme value that we today see it and know that these are great models and reminders of the posture of our own hearts. I remember when uh, I was in youth group. For me, youth group, youth ministry, like the youth group at the church that I went to, middle school, high school. And then when I graduated, I became a youth leader in that youth group. And then I became the youth pastor. And youth has been a very formative part of my life and story and my upbringing. And I don't know about you, if you had any experience with a youth group or a time of youth group, or if you're aware, but for me, my, my youth pastors, 
uh, middle school, high school. And then when I was kind of like a youth leader and there was another youth pastor, he also, all of them really liked to use acronyms to communicate or to help us kids um, remember things. And a lot of times they were super cheesy, right? You're probably laughing if you're in youth group because you're like, oh yeah, like all the time there was either like illustrations or kind of gimmicky things or maybe cheesy things like in the moment, maybe you're like, this is weird or whatever. But um, at least one of them got through to me in a really profound way. And again, it's a funny one. Uh, It's HATS, H-A-T-S. And it it stands for this. H is humility. A is availability. T is teachability. And S is spirit-filled or spirit-led. And the whole premise of this acronym or the reason why we were taught this was for the very same reason that we see here in our text today in this story in Acts 18. And what it was, this idea of hats, the acronym of hats, like you should live your life with humility and availability and teachability and being spirit-filled when it comes to you and the Lord. Again, when I'm in middle school and high school, that does not bear too much weight because you probably don't think you need to learn much when you're in middle school or high school, right? You have that, that teenage kind of rebellious, like what, I don't even know what it really means to be humble, or I don't even really know what it really means to be proud, or what does it mean to be available to God? What does it mean to be humble before God? What does it mean to be teachable? I mean, maybe that's a little easier because you're getting taught a lot, but what does it mean to be teachable? And what is this idea of being spirit-filled? And the reason why I bring that acronym up or it reminds me of that when I read this text is, again, first, like I told you, is the way in which Paul postured himself in all these travels, specifically in the answer that he gave the the, the Ephesians or the church in Ephesus in verse 21. You know, obviously I'm sure that they didn't want Paul the apostle to leave and they were excited he finally came and I'm sure word was getting out and um, he didn't spend much time there. And this is what he told them when he left. He was leaving. He said, verse 21, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. I'll come back if it's God's will. And again, I'm, I'm sure he was in, in some ways just protecting their hearts and not like, you know, giving them false hope and that, yeah, like I'm going to come back for sure. I mean, Paul was very aware of the tumultuous nature of his life and his travels. And so I'm sure that was part of it. But if you know anything about Paul or the New Testament or his letters or the life of Jesus, it's this, that we as believers modeled by Paul here, spoken about in his letters and modeled by Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his crucifixion is this idea of the tension there can be in our own lives of our own will and our own desires and God's will and his plans and his desires for our own life. There's going to be a tension. There always is, especially in this fallen world 
We're right, there's brokenness, and we ourselves are, are in the process of like kind of working out and dealing with the effects of sin in our life and being freed from the power and penalty of sin. And like so, so often we struggle with just like selfishness and control and like wanting to do my own thing and direct our own lives. And so this idea of surrendering to the will of God or elevating or valuing God's will over our own will is a huge theme of the New Testament. And this is the exact thing that Paul is speaking about here. He doesn't say, well, you know, if I have enough money or I have enough time or he's not leaving it up to chance. He's not saying, well, you know, I don't really want to, but maybe I will. Or like, I really want to, so I'm going to really try hard. What he does here, he says, you know what? I'll come back if it's God's will. If, if it's his plans, if it's his purposes. And so what we see here is that Paul had a really grand view of the sovereignty or the control or he knew that God was in control. God was sovereign. God was in control of his life and his travels and where he would be and if he would come back or not. And Paul not only knew of, so of God's sovereignty, and that was true, that it wasn't up to Paul, it was up to God, but he wanted to do what God wanted to do. Not, not what he wanted, even if it was a great thing, like, right? Coming back and building you up and edifying you and telling people about Jesus, that's amazing. Paul says, even though I think it's amazing, even though you want me to do it, I want you to do it. Even, even all of us think it's good. What does God think? What's God's will for us? And again, I brought up Jesus in the garden on the eve of crucifixion. Remember, he, he, he knew the impending horror of the cross that was coming. The physical pain, the emotional, the mental, the insults, the beatings, the trauma. I mean, the, the things that he was about to go through, he knew it. He was God. He, he was all-knowing. He knew what was coming. And he sat before his father in prayer in the garden. And three times he asked, God, if there's any way this cup, this task can pass for me, but not my will, but your will be done. Over and over, Jesus, we see the, the modeling the perfect model of this. Even the son of God before the father said, you know what? If there's any way that we could do this differently. That's, that's kind of my will here. That's my desire. I don't want to go through this, but I'm submitting myself to your will for what you want because God, you know best. I could not encourage us more to live into that posture. Again, and what that takes is humility, availability, teachability, being spirit led. It's going, God, I don't know best. You do. My life is no longer my own. My, the, these resources you've given me. Right, the money, the time, the talent, the, the family I have, the spouse, the kids, uh, uh, my job. It's all not mine. This is all yours. I'm just a steward of it. God, your will is better than my will. What do you want me to do with all of this? And even as we make plans and make decisions, are we presenting those plans and decisions before God in the same way Paul did? Well, I don't know. What does God think? 
right? We have to make a million decisions all the time, all the time. Small decisions, big decisions. There's different times in our life that, that we have to, to, to figure out things. And again, a whole nother sermon series is like kind of how to maybe, uh, you know, determine God's will and how, does, how do we find God's will in his word, which it is his will. But how do we find our God's specific will for our life, like when making decisions or whatnot? That's a whole nother thing. But I just want us to start out as, are we even thinking about this? Is this even the filter by which we like put things through? Are we even aware that we're not supposed to live our own life, that we're actually supposed to be submitted and surrendered to the will of God? Are we humble and available, teachable and spirit led when it comes to our life? That's one, that's one point here. I think, it's, I think it's really profound. Paul was submitted to the will of God. I pray that we too, every part of our life is submitted and say, God, I know I want these things, but not my will, but your will be done. And again, I think the same vein kind of happens here with Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. And so let me... Let me tell you why. And I think con context is really important. So Apollos here says he's a native of Alexandria, um, Alexandria, Egypt, right? Kind of on the Mediterranean there. Um, he's, he, 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 he sails, he gets to Ephesus. So he, he's, a, he's a Jew living in Alexandria. He goes up and um, what it says there is he's well-learned, he's well-educated, he's, he's fervent, he knows the scriptures. I mean, if anything, you, you could say that he's probably one of those like, this like evangelistic revival preachers that's like knows his stuff and he commands a crowd and he's teaching and, and, and it's heavily because at that time, Alexandria uh, was very similar to Athens as an intellectual center of the world. At that time, the largest library in the world existed. And it sounds like that Apollos was a student of the, the books there. What we know is there was a Greek Old Testament in that library that, that no doubt um, he was reading. He was being taught from. It says he was well-versed in the scriptures. Again, it's not like tons of Bibles existed in print. I mean, this is, this is a big deal that he even had access to an Old Testament um, in one of the largest intellectual cities and the largest library in the world. He sails to Ephesus. He starts preaching. He comes in contact with Priscilla and Aquila. And what it looks like is as fervent and as smart and as educated and passionate that Apollos was, there was still some um, deficiencies. There was still some points of growth that he needed. Again, maybe it was an understanding of baptism. Um, it says that he, you know, he kind of grasped John's baptism, which is John the Baptist water baptism, but maybe not fully had grasped yet what it meant for the believer to, to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and kind of the purpose now of baptism. And there was, there's things. Again, we don't totally know. But we see here in that Priscilla and Aquila, um, again, remember, they're just tent makers by trade, but they've spent quite a bit of time now with Paul back in Corinth. Um, they've become trustworthy leaders in the church, and they, they, they say here they, they invite Apollos to their home, and they continue to teach him um, more adequately about the gospel. 
Again, that is a really nice way. That is an incredibly nice way of saying and correcting uh, maybe some mistakes he was making. Right, because think about that. They hear him preaching. There's this fervent, well-educated guy contending with the scriptures and the church is loving him. And they see, oh, there's a couple things he's missing. So instead of like, you know, correcting him publicly or anything like that, they like invite him into their home. And what it sounds like, and if you read, you know, commentaries or whatever it is, it just seems like that they did it in such a humble, loving like receivable way. Because even after that, we see that like he began to speak boldly and then he continues to go out and he, he, he actually travels to Acacia, which is Corinth. Um, and he goes out and there's fruit of this ministry. And, and even there's, um, there's uh, recommendation letters being sent right from Ephesus to Corinth vouching for Apollos. And so it would seem here that not only do we see like just humility in Priscilla and Aquila and how and kindness and, and respect how they, how they corrected Apollos, but think about Apollos for a second. Like he's the guy, he knows his stuff. He's well-educated. He's probably the smartest. He probably even knows the scriptures even better than Priscilla and Aquila, but maybe there's some character deficiencies. Maybe there's some, so there is some doctrinal issues that he's not getting, but what does he do? It doesn't say there that he didn't receive. It doesn't say that like, that's the end of the story. What it seems like, what it looks like is there was real humility and teachability in the person of Apollos. And then it would seem that the spirit of God and the will of God continues to lead him and pour into the believers, not only in Ephesus, but in Corinth. Again, what I want to point out and mark out is the character, the posture of Paul, the apostle and Apollos. I mean, these are the guys at the time. If you want to put it this way, they're like the celebrity pastors. Maybe that's a bad example. But uh, I mean, they're like the, the most respected, well-known, famous, whatever you want to call it. Like these guys in that region are leading the charge of the entire Christian movement. But they're humble. They're available to be used by God. It's not their, it's not their, that's not their plans. It's God's plans. They're teachable. They're willing to learn. They're willing to admit fault, admit mistakes. And they are absolutely led by the spirit of God. Hats, humble, available, teachable, and spirit filled. And I want to end with something that Paul writes again to the church in Corinth, the letter, first Corinthians. Um, he, he's writing this letter to the church that he's just started, right? We just learned about it last week. He sailed back now and, he, and he's coming back, but now Apollos is in Corinth. So right for a couple years now, it's been Paul and now it's been Apollos ministering to the church, to Christians in Corinth. Okay. And this is what he said. This is what he says in his letter to first Corinthians three. And, and he's addressing something. And what he's addressing is that, uh, People are, are loving Paul's teachings and they're loving Apollos' teachings. And even some are like, I like 
Apollos better than Paul. N- no problem. It's, it's fine. We all have preferences, right? Of Bible teachers and, and, and people. But Paul's saying, as much as you want to elevate me and Apollos, it's not about us. We're just servants of the most high God. Take your eyes off of us, right? You're making us celebrity pastors. You're making us famous. We're not the famous ones. This is what he says. He's addressing this. Like, don't boast in us. Look to Jesus. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. In this letter, he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? He's saying, don't, you know, only servants through whom you came to believe. Like we're the only, it's just through us. We're just the messengers. As the Lord has assigned us to each his task. Paul speaking, he says, I planted the seed of the gospel. Apollos then came and he watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who is who make things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Guys, I hope that like is the cherry on top to this idea of having a posture of humility and availability and teachability and being spirit filled. Paul even wants to clarify. I know you want to put us on a pedestal, right? This is what he says to them. I know you want to put us as Christian leaders on a pedestal or you want to give us credit for what we've done. Don't. Everything that you've seen is because God has just used us as messengers. It's not about us. Yes, God used us to plant and water, cool, but it's God that actually has caused the growth here. God should get the credit, not us, and none of us should be the ones exalted. The only one to be exalted and worshiped is King Jesus, because this is his kingdom. This is his spirit. This is his truth. This is his gospel, and he's the one that saves. He's the one that grows. Amen? Amen. Let's worship our God now. And in this time of worship, let's allow the Lord to search our hearts and ask him to make us a people that are more humble, available, teachable, and spirit-filled and spirit-led in our lives. Amen? Amen. God, thank you so much for this time that we get to gather digitally and study your word and have these examples of men and women in your word that model a heart of humility that model being available to be used by you. God, that, that give the example of being teachable. God, make us a teachable people. And God, we don't want to do any of this. We can't. We're not supposed to do any of this on our own strength or our own leading. We need your Holy Spirit to continue to lead us and guide us and strengthen us to be able to live for you in all aspects of our life. God, we exalt you now and we ask that in our homes or wherever wherever we're at gathered, you would be exalted and glorified and worshiped because it's all your doing. You get all the credit and we boast in you this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.